My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of All the Hard Things. Today, I am joined by Authentically ADHD um, on Instagram, um, also Jack Outside the Box on YouTube. Um, so we'll call her Jack, and we're going to uh, let Jack uh, kind of explain who she is and, and all about her. But oh my gosh, you guys, she is just incredible. Um, I'm super excited to gain her insight and we will talk about the overlap of ADHD, OCD, anxiety, and all of the things. I know this is something that a lot of you out there really struggle with and need some more insight on and no one perfect, no one more perfect than Jack right here. So um, Jack, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to get into this conversation. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about uh, your story and how we came to be here today? Awesome. Thank you so much, Jenna. Um, I just want to start by Jenna saying thank you to you so much. It's so weird. I think I've listened to every podcast episode you've <laughs> ever created. So now to be on it, I'm like so excited. And I hope that this episode can touch some people in the way that your other episodes have really helped me. So thank you. And yeah, hey, everyone. I'm Jack. I use she, her pronouns. I am a life coach for folks with ADHD and also a content creator and educator around all things ADHD. And I came into that in sort of a bizarre way. I was in my third year of law school and really, really struggling with my mental health and particularly just feeling like I was having so much trouble keeping up with everything. I was like pulling all-nighters and yeah, just really struggling with a lot of anxiety. It's actually the reason I went to see my school counselor and from there got diagnosed, went down a whole long process that I'll spare you of right now, but eventually got diagnosed with ADHD, predominantly inattentive type. And yeah, I, I'll, we'll kind of see what level of uh, depth we want to go in on that, but went really into that, got a lot, learned so much about ADHD and similar to OCD, how it really is so much different than the stereotypes and sort of what you hear ADHD being about. So got really, really interested in learning how to design my life around my brain and find ways to work with my brain and kind of just had a business pop up around that. And um, only in the past you know, year, I think maybe even a little bit less, um, I have really started exploring more of the anxiety piece uh, of my own mental health and 
sort of toying around with uh, uh, I don't I don't mean to say that in like a light way, but kind of, yeah, playing around with my therapist around whether what some of my experiences are falls under the OCD realm and leaning towards very, very likely, yes. <laughs> um, and so really exploring ERP for myself and looking at things through the lens of OCD, I've made huge strides. And so, yeah, I've just really wondered about the overlap and all that stuff. So just really excited to chat and to kind of explore it together. I'm, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm just someone who experiences these things. And so I probably have just as many questions as I will answers, but I'm excited to explore them. But I mean, you're highlighting things that I know so many people out there really want to know about, right? Like I can just imagine you being in that situation, like being diagnosed with ADHD and it's like, wow, like that did not fit the stereotype that I thought that it did, right? Like I, I remember in one of your articles saying like, thinking that ADHD was like this hyper kid who like can't sit still and that maybe you didn't necessarily resonate with that. And um, yeah, I just want to get into, if you don't mind, like the stereotypes and like, sometimes that that might happen. Um, but that it's really so much more than that. And I, I'm, I'm passionate about this aspect of it because I think that that's the same with obsessive compulsive disorder, right? Like, obviously there's a stereotype that obsessive compulsive disorder is, you know, having only to do with germs and cleanliness and contamination and, uh, having to have things just right. And it's not to say that that doesn't happen. It's just that there's so much more to it than what people typically think. So, and I I'm hearing, I'm trying, I'm, I'm seeing that it's also that way with ADHD. So if you could just go over like what you thought some of the stereotypes were and how your situation was so much different and how it impacts other adults or other adult women, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it mirrors OCD in that way a lot and really stops people from seeing themselves in these different things and getting the support they need. So yeah, I mean, I guess thinking back to when I knew nothing about ADHD, I thought what a lot of people thought, which, you know, I kind of pictured maybe like a younger boy in the classroom, like really hyper, jumping around, interrupting, you kind of picture that more, or I kind of pictured that more hyperactive type of ADHD, which is certainly there. And, you know, like you said with OCD, it's not that these things are not real and that people don't experience these things, but it's definitely not the whole picture and even part of the picture for some people. Um, so yeah, I pictured a lot of impulsivity, hyperactivity, bouncing around, kind of being disruptive, struggling to focus type of type of thing, which, uh, and maybe, you know, not having great grades and all of all of that. And my experience has been so different. And, you know, I think part of this has to do there's there's a lot of reasons for these stereotypes. I mean, one, like I said, they exist. And these these are often most observable from the outside. Um, not to mention, you know, the DSM was really generally created by a lot of white men. And so the DSM descriptions are really categorized through that lens and don't take a lot of other experiences into account. So the DSM definition of ADHD alone to me, I find really problematic. So it's attention deficit hyperactivity 
disorder. And I just find everything about that name to be incorrect for the most part. I don't think it's a disorder. I do think it can be very disabling within our society. And that's not to say it's not extremely challenging because it is, but I, I believe it's, it's just a different neurotype. Um, I also don't think it's a deficit of attention. And I think that's that misnomer of a name really memorialized that idea. Um, that ADHD is a deficit of attention, which it's not. It's a it's a difficulty or a difference regulating attention, which I think really plays into OCD in a lot of ways. And not everyone who experiences ADHD experiences hyperactivity. So they've now divided it into ADHD, hyperactive slash impulsive type, number one, ADHD, inattentive type, number two, and then ADHD combined type number three. And so this more inattentive type is, you know, maybe more, a lot of people who are inattentive experience it more internally. So it may be, well, I mean, there's, there's so many different pieces of it. Do you want me to kind of go into what I experience it like, would that be an okay place to Absolutely. Head? I think so. I think that's what people, you know, like the DSM stuff, I, I think you're so right. Like, and I love that you mentioned that it was created by a bunch of white men who like clearly mm-hmm. don't have mental health conditions. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, there's even been some talk about obsessive compulsive disorder, like not being appropriately named because mm. go back like compulsive some people say it just means something that you feel compelled to do. Some people say it's a behavior, which a behavior is, and it's supposed to be more physical, but then you kind of mess with the, what about the mental compulsions? It's very messy, but the DSM, long story short, DSM kind of stinks, which we didn't have to use it. There's a lot of issues with it, but yeah, in saying that, like, it's so much more important to hear, like in your day-to-day, how has this interfered with your life? What does it look like for you? Yeah. That would be super, super helpful. Cool. Yeah. So like I said, I fall more into the inattentive type category, though I don't really find that categorization super helpful because I think like many people with ADHD who don't exhibit hyperactivity externally, sort of like folks who don't experience um, compulsions, maybe externally, there's often a lot of mental hyperactivity that comes along. So for myself, you might look at me and like other people who are more on the inattentive side and we might be just like sitting on the couch, like staring off into space. And it might look like on the outside, we're being lazy, we're just like chilling out or like relaxing, but oftentimes our brains internally are going absolutely nonstop. And so we have a really hard time. I guess I'll speak for myself. I have a really hard time sort of turning down the noise in my brain. And sometimes those are more anxious thoughts. Sometimes those are just like ideas and exciting things. And uh, yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, even right now I have this like little fidget ring that I'm playing with under the table. You wouldn't be able to see it. Um, so maybe I'm not jumping up and down, but I am doing a little fidget to kind of regulate myself. So, you know, ADHD really impacts executive functioning. So for myself, that looks like my memory, my working memory is really poor. And 
you know, that played a huge role in law school with like trying to remember flashcards and remember all of the things. Um, so working memory is a challenge. Decision-making can be really hard. So a lot of people with ADHD really identify as having like decision fatigue or analysis paralysis because we can struggle with like, with prioritizing, with order of operations and just kind of get stuck in this paralysis mode where again, it might look like we're doing nothing, but we're just like obsessing <laughs> in our brains about, uh, about our options. ADHD, I think at its core is a lot of, has a lot to do with how we regulate our attention and our emotions. So emotional regulation is not even included in the DSM, which is ridiculous, but it is a huge part of ADHD. And I know that from research and hundreds of people that I've spoken with with ADHD, all of whom really struggle to regulate both attention and emotion. So it might feel really there might feel like there are really high highs and really low lows. We tend to experience things really strongly um, with attention. We may struggle to get started or to yeah, put our focus on something, but oftentimes it's actually a difficulty pulling our attention out of something. So many of us experience hyper-focus, which is like getting super zoomed in to a task or to something you're doing to the point of like, Maybe you need to go to the bathroom or you haven't had food or you have a cramp or whatever the case may be, but you're kind of so focused in on this thing, you can't really pull yourself out of it. Um, and then I think there's just so many, well, yeah, I mean, along the lines of more of kind of like the DSME type of things, there's, there's certainly impulsivity for some people that is more of those stereotypical, really big impulsive decisions. And for other people like me, it might look more like starting a, this business <laughs> um, on a whim or buying or like an impulse buy or buying a course that I'm super excited about. Um, but then there's like, I think, there's a whole other realm of what ADHD might look like where it gets a little bit murky, which it's like not necessarily ADHD traits, but I think things that come about as a result of having ADHD in a neurotypical world, which is kind of just inherently traumatic for many people and really hard. So then there's all of these compensatory behaviors that come about and anxiety and depression and like all of these things that can be on their own, but are often secondary to ADHD as well. Yeah. And so many of the examples that you're giving, right? Like the one example you gave me was, yeah, you might be sitting there just like looking off into the sunset and you're just like in your own world, right? You're kind of in your own world. Um, I, I can imagine that there's just such a funky and confusing overlap when it comes to certain things like analysis paralysis, right? Decision-making. Um, I could see how that could totally be confused with, or, you know, be complicated by anxiety and OCD, right? Like having to make the exact right decision and like not having the confidence to make the decision. Um, and then the one that you just gave, um, 
you know, I can just see how anxiety and it, you know, it just, it can all get so funky, um, like needing to 100% finish a task before you move on to something else. I, mm-hmm. I work, I work with so many people who have OCD and anxiety, like we've never even talked about or thought about ADHD, but they definitely exhibit some of that, right? Like that they have to have like that 100% completion. Like they have to finish something entirely before they move on to anything else, even going to the restroom or getting a drink of water. Um, <laughs> so I would love to learn more, like, this is super, super helpful. I want to learn more about the actual overlap, like of your ADHD and anxiety and OCD and, you know, not that it matters or maybe it does. Um, but I would love to know, like, how can you tell when something is clearly being driven by your ADHD or when something is clearly being driven by anxiety or OCD and sometimes how it might be a little bit of both. Yeah, it's such a good question. And it's, it's one that, like I said, at the beginning, I honestly have more questions too than I do answers, but I'll kind of like riff on it a little bit and we can chat about it and see, see what we come up with. So ADHD, I'm much more familiar with. I've done much, much, much research on ADHD. And, you know, so I can kind of identify my ADHD behaviors a little bit easier and anxiety and OCD are a bit newer pieces for me. I think the things, so it's definitely something I'm still navigating. And I think it's just to kind of name before even answering the question, like it's really confusing and complex. Mm -hmm. And the clients that I work with that experience both or are exploring whether they experience both, you know, I kind of take what I've understood your approach to be, I, I take a similar approach where like in a lot of ways, the, the label isn't as important, but the treatments may be. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's really tough. I know for myself, <clears throat> I, I can tell when it's more anxiety and OCD, I think only through practice and really identifying more of like what my obsessions were. So I always thought, I never realized that they were more obsessions, but sort of realizing my, a theme in which I've never really seen exactly as a theme. So I kind of fall in that like, (laughs) realm that's not really super represented in in the OCD world but for me it tends to come up when there's something that I feel responsibility over so my cat I have like horrible anxiety about my cat I have I get anxiety about my plants I get anxiety about my health and I get anxiety about my home and they just it it feels different than ADHD because I can feel that I'm just sort of spinning and yeah I I don't exactly know I I guess I'm like kind of exploring this with you in ways for the first time out loud it's like I think just knowing the the theme of it has really helped me to go oh that's an intrusive thought Mm -hmm. whereas with ADHD it doesn't usually feel like an intrusive thought it feels like more of like um more of like a real life something so it might be like I'm really overwhelmed about going okay I have to go grocery shopping and I have to go to the post office and then I have to be home by three o'clock and I'm like 
okay, what order of operations do I need to? And I might like get in my head and obsess about it and it can feel similar, um, but it feels more grounded in something like happening in real life for me than, than my anxiety does, which is not to say that it's never not real life, um, but I can feel it just has that like uncertainty quality about it that the ADHD piece doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's just so much overlap. And yeah, as much as you have yeah. questions, I have questions. Like yeah. I was totally honest before this podcast, I told Jack, I was like, I get questions about this all the time. And I usually have to like bump them onto somebody else who knows more. Like, I don't want to speak to something that I'm not an expert about. Um, and you know, these things do happen. They are comorbid. And I guess like my take would be from my perspective, right? Like if we're doing exposure and response prevention together, right? Like I would want to know about the fears. I would want to know about like, what would happen, you know, if you didn't take care of your plan, what would happen Mm -hmm. if you didn't do this? Or what would happen if you just, you know, instead of thinking about the best order of operations of, of where to go and, and, and what to do first, like, what if we just picked one and went with it? Like, Mm -hmm. and can we sit with, and can we tolerate that discomfort? I'm not saying that that's the right way to do it when ADHD is involved, but that would be like, that's the extent to what I have practiced and what I would practice. Um, so yeah, but I'm with you. Like, I do feel like so much of it is just a feeling like it's just, it feels (laughs) different. Like, you know, I don't know if some people can resonate with the fact, like maybe when they're just kind of like sitting there and they're like staring off into space and like their mind's going a mile a minute maybe like when it's more ADHD driven, maybe it's just like a lot of thoughts that don't necessarily evoke a lot of fear or hyper responsibility, but it's just thoughts, right? Like maybe they're not good or super bad, or maybe it's just a lot of thoughts, but maybe when it comes to anxiety and OCD, right? Like you're trying to find that certainty. You're trying to find like, you're in the active certainty. You're in the active pursuit of like trying to uncover an answer to a question. Like you're almost wanting that missing puzzle piece of certainty. Um, I don't know if that can resonate with people out there too, but I, I'm just trying to like take into account, like what you've told me and what other people have told me that it just feels different. Sometimes it's hard to verbalize, but that it just feels different. It does. And yeah, I appreciate you framing it like that. I do think the uncertainty piece is really huge because it feels really huge in my anxiety pieces, but doesn't really feel that big in a lot of my my ADHD pieces. A lot of people describe ADHD and myself included as just kind of like chronic overwhelm. Mm -hmm. It just feels like, you know, executive functioning is sort of like the CEO of the brain, right? So it's like with ADHD, it just feels as if your like internal secretary is just not doing its job (laughs) a lot of the time is not like activating you to do the thing that you need to do so in that couch example you could just be like sitting there being like okay i need to get up and i need to make dinner or i need to get up and i need to clean the house or even i need to get up and go to the bathroom and adhd people describe often like i know what i need to do but like i physically feel like i can't activate to do it um so yeah, it, it just kind of feels like this thing in your brain isn't like clicking on to do the thing. And so that can lead to a lot of anxiety, depression, and a lot of things, because that's really hard and it's really challenging to feel like, you know, you can't activate to do these things. And then with OCD and anxiety, it just has like a different flavor. Like you said, that piece of uncertainty, it's like, not that I can't necessarily, I guess, I guess 
the the best way that I can think to differentiate it for myself is just like what type of treatment helps because for me with my OCD and anxiety stuff and this is a conversation I have with my therapist all the time and we're both learning a lot of this together it's like okay are we going to treat this like you know which which approach are we going to take for this thing um because for me it, it feels less important to like label or name like okay, this is in this perfect neat box. Cause I don't even really like roll with, with the way it's all divided. Right. Um, and more just like, okay, what's going to be helpful. And so I know with my OCD and anxiety stuff, ERP is the most helpful. Mm-hmm. And with my more ADHD related stuff, sometimes it can be, but oftentimes um, it's not the first thing that I would really go to. I actually think for ADHD, a lot of people really need a lot of verbal processing, which I think if it were done on like a, on a theme of OCD would, would be really unhelpful and ruminative. Um, But when it's ADHD and you're like, okay, I need to like plan out my month, like let's talk through all of the things and all of the, okay, what, what is the challenging thing that might pop up here and how are we going to work around it? That's actually really helpful for ADHD specifically. So I guess that's kind of the only way I can really differentiate it is like, what helps? I love that. And I think we put like you too much emphasis on these labels. Like one of my favorite topics, as you probably know, is this like generalized anxiety disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder thing. And it's like, at the end of the day, like who effing cares? Like (laughs) you have to like actually come to like we actually have to think about like, okay, what's the dysfunction and how do we get this person to live a more functional life? Like what are the ways in which these dysfunctional behaviors are causing you impairment and distress? And how do we work with that? Like there may be times where you need to take a break, or like you said, you need to actually like write everything down and, you know, be more organized and like actually verbally process stuff. But you know, and like, I can imagine where someone, if they had like obsessive compulsive fears that like, if I don't write it out every single line, right. Like that something bad would happen or, yeah, you, know, you just have to really kind of, I think this is where it's helpful to embrace like what ERP is actually about, right. Like what exposure and response prevention is all about is like doing things that are uncomfortable, like in the short term so that you can have that long-term benefit. Right. And I'm sure there are tons of aspects of your ADHD that also benefit from that. Right. Like mm-hmm. yep, there are some times where like with your ADHD, yeah, you have to do the hard thing in mm-hmm. small and manageable doses. It's going to feel challenging right now, but it's going to be helpful for you in the long run. And that's really what anxiety and OCD treatment is about. But I'm sure there are also times where it's like, no, like this would not work for OCD and anxiety treatment, but this feels completely different. And this is, you know, a product of my ADHD. Like you just have to know yourself. You have to, and and hopefully this is where you're working with a therapist who also knows you and can take those like small nuances and make good suggestions. But, but this is just another example of how treatment isn't linear. Like it's super, super nuanced. And we have to just ask ourselves, like, instead of getting stuck in these labels, what does it really matter? We need to actually be thinking like, what's going to be helpful for me in the long run? What do I need right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think that question is so important of just like, what, what is needed for this? And yeah, I wish it was simple, but like you said, it really is something that needs to be worked out with people who really get at least one or the other, or hopefully both. Um, because it's really complicated, right? And 
you know, I think about with ERP, the the like little warning signal that goes off in my brain. And I just want to name, like I'm obsessed with ERP. Like it has been <laughs> the single most helpful thing for all things anxiety for me. And I'm, I've made the most progress, I think in my mental health since discovering it. So I'm so on board with it. And like for ADHD, there, there are pieces of it that, ha- that are like red flags <laughs> to me. Um, that I think it's just kind of important to name, even though I'm not like totally, totally clear on it yet. I I just know, so for ADHD and specifically for autistic folks, and there's a lot of overlap, right? There's a lot of like co-occurring rates amongst all of these different things. There's a lot of masking that happens. Um, yeah, a lot in autism and and also a lot in ADHD. So a lot of kind of like masking our traits and, you know, for a lot of autistic people, ABA therapy is used, which can be really, really harmful and traumatizing um, for for a lot of folks. Um, And so there's like little pieces of ERP that I think if not used really nuanced, really thoughtfully could really be pushing ADHD folks to sort of in some ways like adapt to a world that doesn't work for them. Whereas my question is always like, okay, what can we do to create a life for you that works for your brain? And I think a lot of people with ADHD have experienced so many people just being like, just push through it, just do it, just focus, just clean your room, just do this. And yeah, again, I just think if not used really carefully, I think ERP could could feel really invalidating um, in some realms of ADHD. And that's the experience that I've certainly gotten from people. And that's like why I'm almost to a fault. Like I'm almost very timid. And I mean, I, I think that's a good thing, right? Like if you don't yeah. know and like you're not an expert in this stuff or you don't really know what to do, like do no harm, right? Like I just don't yeah. want to do any harm. And so like, that's why I was so excited. One of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you and just talk about this more is because when I do get individuals who struggle with ADHD, I'm kind of like, I know that there are going to be aspects of what I tell them to do. Like, I can't just apply it to ADHD. Like I have Mm -hmm. to think more critically about that. Um, and luckily like they seem to know and like bring more to the table than I usually can. Like they're like you, like they, they tell me that it feels different and no, like this is very clearly in the pursuit of certainty. And I know that that's more obsessive compulsive driven. Whereas this is like, I'm working with my doctor on this and this is what helps my ADHD. And it's like, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't want to, I think it's totally harmful to like, just assume that like one evidence-based treatment for one thing is going to apply to something else. That's not fair. Um, but you had mentioned, like, obviously there are times where these are like totally separate conditions. Like they exist separately of each other, similar to like anxiety or, you know, anxiety or OCD and depression, right? Like somebody could very well have like OCD in and of itself, like its own entity. And then they could also have depression separate in and of itself, like its own entity. 
they might like exacerbate each other or play off of each other, but they're very separate entities. Like they're both high priority. Whereas, you know, someone might have obsessive compulsive disorder kind of as the primary, but then depression as the secondary, right? Like their OCD has become so debilitating that they then become depressed as a result of that. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are about like primary diagnosis or secondary diagnosis, like when you have OCD, anxiety, and ADHD or what your experience has been. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something I think about a lot and, you know, I'm not a clinician or anyone that can diagnose. So certainly my thoughts on this are more from just like my lived experience perspective, but yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to really explore. And I think a lot of times people get diagnosed with something quickly or it just gets like defaulted to something. And I think it can be really harmful all across the board, right? Like if someone's diagnosed with OCD and they're dealing with ADHD and not treating ADHD, not necessarily with meds, but just not giving it the care, then OCD treatment's not going to be as effective and vice versa. Um, I think, you know, I couldn't really say, like, I don't, I don't really feel able to say, okay, this is primary or this is secondary. But what I do know is with ADHD, there's a lot of compensatory behaviors that happen as coping skills. And I think that anxiety and more OCD type of traits are some of that, right? Like I've talked to a lot of people with ADHD who also really resonate with a lot of OCD things. And so that might look like, you know, for me, you know, I'm thinking of like, okay, so I am someone who has left my stove on (laughs) multiple times um, because my ADHD brain, you know, so people with ADHD do a lot of crap like that. Like we leave stuff on, we forget to shut the door. We forget X, Y, and Z. We make messes and then we can develop at secondarily sort of these coping skills that can fall into the realm of OCD, right? It's like, okay, so, you know, maybe I left my stove on, now I'm anxious about it. And now I feel the need to like check it. It's like clearly in the in anxiety realm, but it comes about from this like hypervigilance of like, shit, we always forget things or maybe we leave words out. So we have to like check things a million times. And then I think, you know, same, same with depression. I've worked with clients who the depression seems very much a result of not having their ADHD managed right? So it's just like, everything's overwhelming. Their executive functioning is not doing the job and they, that's depressing. (laughs) It's really hard to live that way. So of course, of course one might get depressed. Um, Yeah. I think it just takes a lot of like careful combing through and exploration and the way in which I think it's really important to consider is when meds are involved, which again, is not in my realm of expertise, but something I've dealt with and talked about with a lot of clients, right? So me with ADHD stimulants uh, make me more obsessive. So not great. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So exploring, exploring what's kind of 
what's kind of the prominent thing and what might be secondary, I think is really important for treatment. Mm -hmm. And I can, yeah, totally can just only imagine like how depressing and how anxiety provoking and just how like deflating and depleting it must be, especially for ADHD, but just generally to be struggling for so long and not have the diagnosis. Right. And mm -hmm. in part because of these stereotypes and professionals not understanding it to the extent that they should. Um, so yeah, I would love to know like what recovery looks like for you. Like despite all of these nuances and the careful combing through, I think that's a really great way to describe it. Like what does recovery look like for you? And I'm sure people have this question for you a lot too, of like, you know, will I ever recover from this? I get the question all the time. Like, can you cure OCD and anxiety? And no, we can't cure it. Right. But like yeah. you can learn to live with it and have still a really fulfilling life. And we're not going to get rid of it completely. I'm curious, like what your recovery looks like and what your thoughts are for anyone out there who is wondering about that. Like, what does recovery look like for you? And then, you know, what can they expect in the future? Yeah. I love that question. So ADHD is not something you can get rid of. It, you're born with it and you have it. It's just, it's your neurotype. It's how your, your brain works. And so no, you're never going to get rid of ADHD. And I think that a lot of people approach treatment in that way, which really rubs up against self-acceptance. And I think leaves people feeling really frustrated and really deflated and really discouraged. So I think when it comes to ADHD specifically, it's really important to know that it's just a, a part of who you are. And people have really differing perspectives on what ADHD means for them. Some people identify with it being a superpower. Some people identify it with being a disability. Some people feel it's a disorder. Some people feel like it's all of the above. And for me personally, I, I identify my ADHD as something that's really challenging and also something that if I can set my life up in a way that really works for my brain is either at least neutral, but oftentimes an asset. Um, ADHD brains are needed in this world. We need people to think outside the box. We need people to feel high highs. We need people to be really attuned to sounds and to things that other people are not attuned to. And we need people who are divergent, people who are challenging norms and looking at the world differently. And so for me with ADHD, I think finding a way of relating to it that feels true, authentic, not toxic positive, but just like for me, that's that's my honest truth about it. And accepting that that's going to come with some challenges, like a lot of challenges, um, has been key for me and being really compassionate with myself as I navigate all of it. So I think the way in which we relate to our ADHD is probably the first most important thing because it's carried, there's so much shame and otherness carried around with it. And I think that beating ourselves up and 
being in lack of acceptance is some of the hardest parts of it. So I would say that that's a huge piece of, I wouldn't even call it recovery, but of just like being with my ADHD and then really figuring out my values, figuring out my strengths, figuring out what's hard for me, figuring out what lights me up and trying to design my life in a way that supports those things. So for me, that's entrepreneurship. For me, that's living in the mountains where there's like no sensory input. Um, For me, that is not starting work until 10 a.m. because I am a night owl and all of these different pieces. Um, And then of course, because we live in, you know, we can't especially when, you know, there's lack of privileges, we can't just like snap our fingers and perfectly design our lives the way we want to. We find the tools to support us. So that might be meds, that might be coaching, that might be, you know, certain organization techniques or time management techniques. And we choose to do those things if, if they're, if the goal is to then be aligned with our values in our actions. So that's kind of the way I view ADHD, but I I do relate to OCD and my anxiety piece, the recovery piece, slightly different. I mean, I I think that's so beautiful. Um, And I think, you know, I would, I would apply a lot of that to OCD and anxiety recovery as well. Um, That it's really just, we have to find a different way to look at our brains and to look at what's going on. Um, I shared this on my Instagram a while ago. Like I had this, I I've always had really awful nightmares, like really vivid, terrible, like really distressing nightmares since I was a kid. Um, and I had one, another one, one day as an adult, like a 32 year old adult. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I wish there was just like an injection that I could take or a pill and just not have nightmares ever again. And then I, I got the thought of like, well, I also have really cool dreams sometimes too. Like there are dreams where like, I'm back with all my friends from college and like, it feels so real. And I've gotten like really awesome ideas in my dreams before. Uh, like, I don't know, it's, it's a scary place, but it's also a really beautiful place. And I was like, you know what? Like if I were to take this drug or to take like this injection, even if it existed, I probably would also have to sacrifice the good ideas too. And I was like, you know what? Like that in and of it's like, that makes it not worth it. Like I have to take the good with the bad and the bad with the good. And I thought like, wow, that's actually exactly applicable to OCD and anxiety. Like we can't just have the good. Like we don't get to just have the creativity of a, about all the cool inventions and entrepreneurship and yes. all these beautiful ideas about the world. And we don't get to just think deeply and love hard in all the good ways. We also experience all the darkness that comes with that expansion of feelings and, and everything too. Right. So like what you're saying is like, yeah, like my brain thinks a lot and it's like on a constant overwhelm, but I also have the capacity to like go through grad school or go through law school and then like make my own business out of entrepreneurship. And like, uh, like it's the beauty of your brain, but also like there's some detriment to that stuff as well. And it's just, it's so much more expansive than just like, I, my brain is working against me. I have all these dark thoughts. 
my brain is broken. It doesn't work the way that I want it to. It's like, it, it does. It's just like, there are some ways that it works against you. And there are lots of other really wonderful things about your brain that make you think ways and think about things that other people can't access. Um, so I hope that we don't forget all of the good things that our brains can access too, because I think you're right. Like when we are divergent, like the world needs us, the world needs people who are not normal because normal is not good, right? Like research shows that like people who are neurodivergent in a lot of these ways, right? Like people who have OCD and anxiety, they tend to have higher IQ. They tend to be more sensitive. They tend to be more empathic. They tend to be more creative. We can't just like dull one of all of the bad senses without also sacrificing the good. It's, mm-hmm. so, it's like one of my favorite topics of all time. Me too. Yeah. I find it to be the most empowerful, but also just true way of relating to it. And I think it's really hard to relate to it both like especially if you have ADHD and OCD you're like wanting it to be all or nothing or one or the other to have certainty about like okay this means this for me or this means that for me and it's got to be all good or it's got to be all bad but I think being able to hold the whole picture is so important and it's really hard when it's all so pathologized um the way in which our framework for for any kind of mental illness or neurodivergence is so pathologized and so I think based on just like how you can perform under capitalism it's just it's just so skewed um Mm -hmm. it's just all so skewed and I think surrounding yourself by other people even just having this conversation I mean we're not even like in that intimate of a conversation but I can just like feel we're on the same wavelength you know and it feels it's like oh yeah like we got this you know it's being surrounded by other people who experience similar things is so healing and it just shows you it's like if I can see that in you or you're saying like you can see that in me with like my creativity in law school and all of these different things like certainly that same thing exists in you and everyone else listening that's so amazing oh my gosh I have chills (laughs) it's so it's so true um oh my gosh I could talk to you all day and we could just like (laughs) go on a deep dive here all day about these things um but I am really curious I have two more questions that I know everyone listening would probably love to see or hear from you so um I would love like anyone who's kind of just like on this journey um they're really resonating with everything that you're saying they're feeling like oh my gosh like that is me. Like I, you know, I was either just diagnosed with ADHD or they feel like they have it and they're just kind of confused. Um, and they're like in the thick of it, what would be your advice as they embark on this whole journey? Oh yeah. Well, first of all, hi, you're not alone. And I know it can feel really scary and confusing and overwhelming and exciting and relieving and like all of the different things at once to start discovering this and there can be a lot of grief around like what if I knew this sooner there's like I said so many different perspectives out there research on ADHD is still fairly new and still not very complete I think number one would be finding support And that can look really differently for a lot of people. I think, you know, like as with OCD, it's very important to find someone who understands OCD. It's very important to find someone who understands ADHD when getting supported. So whether that's a therapist or a coach or 
you know, there's even free or cheap communities out there, um, peer support, whatever it looks like, just kind of, I think, learning from lived experience when it comes to ADHD and getting support from people who really get it is really, really important. And then, I mean, there's so many things I could go in, but if it's like fresh, you know, just giving yourself permission, especially if anxiety is also involved to be in the uncertainty of it. There's not super clear answers. The research is always changing. There is not one medication that works for everyone or one path that works for everyone or one explanation that makes sense across the board. And so allowing yourself to just not exactly know yet. It's like, I don't know what's going to help me yet, or I don't know where to go, or I don't know what it means to design my life around my brain, or I don't even know what my values are, or it's okay. And it takes time and it's going, there's never going to be an end point. So allow yourself to be in that discovery and allow it to be a chance for you to get to know yourself better and to get to slowly over time, find the things in an experimental way that do and do not work for you. Um, again, I could like give probably like a four hour thing, but I think that's where I would start. <laughs> awesome. I think that's great advice. And then last piece of advice here, this podcast was really created because I have worked with so many people who, you know, as you know, going through the exposure and response prevention process, you know, you said that you love this and it, it has really just changed your life. And I love that. Um, but sometimes people don't really see the benefit or kind of see why it's important to do hard things, whether that's with OCD or ADHD or depression or just in life in general. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I obviously feel like it's super important and super, you know, worthwhile. And it's what life is all about to be doing those hard things, to be showing yourself that you are capable, that you're so much more capable than you thought. Uh, but I love to get every guest's uh, feedback and opinion on why do you think it's so important for us to do hard things? Mm, yeah. <sighs> I think for me, and this can be messy territory to kind of go into probably, especially for folks with OCD, but I, for me, I really like to sort of think like, okay, like, you know, and, and I think is, this is going to get a little bit deep, but, you know, actually like my, my little brand of OCD kind of came about after losing my sister to suicide. And it sort of triggered this like anxiety response. It's like control response in me that was always underneath the surface, but sort of just came about. And I think that that also really lends to how I think about it because I really think about, it, it really showed me life really is uncertain. <laughs> um, and I, you know, you just never know, you never know what's, what's going to happen, which is really uncomfy <laughs> to say the least to sit with, but there are things that we can control. We can control how, how we show up and we can control if we show up to try to experience joy, or if we go to that dance class, even if it's hard, or if we say hi to that person, even if it's hard. And so 
for me, I think focusing in on those things that, and that maybe control isn't the right word, but that we do have that power over feels so important to me because I, I want to know that I lived my life in a way that is aligned with my values. And of course, that's not always going to be perfect. I'm in like the worst PMS right now ever. And I'm like totally miserable and just want to like binge watch Netflix all day. So it's not always perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I want to know that I lived a life in accordance to what matters to me. I love that. I love it. And that's where we always seem to come back to, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. whether it's depression or ADHD or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like I think the one line or the one string that kind of links all of that together, as far as treatment and recovery goes is like values. How do we Mm -hmm. get you to live a life of your values? Um, whether that's doing certain behaviors more doing, doing certain behaviors less, like how do we get you to live a life that's more consistent with your values? Like despite what your brain is doing or wants to tell you values are so important. So, and I know speaking of values, right? Like you've made this into your career now. Like, I love it. You're absolutely amazing at everything that you do. I want you now to you know, tell the audience kind of where they can find you, um, all of the awesome things that you do and, and yeah, where they can learn more about you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah. So I hang out a lot on my Instagram, which is authentically ADHD. And I have, I also have a YouTube channel, which is called Jack outside the box. It's a little bit more like lifestyle expansive, Whereas my Instagram is a lot more just ADHD focused and there's a bunch of different opportunities to get involved more in the ADHD realm of things. So I run a monthly membership called the Collective Empowerment Group and that's a space to find community, which like I've said a million times, I think is so important. So everyone in there has ADHD or is exploring whether they have ADHD. We have live support calls and co-working and it's a really beautiful and supportive space. So you can find that through, uh, through my Instagram or through my website, which is authenticallyadhd.com. And then I also do group coaching and one-on-one coaching. Um, that's, yeah, it just depends on availability, but you can reach out to me if you're going to reach out to me, I would ask you to email me probably, which is authentically ADHD at gmail.com. <laughs> awesome. And I will be sure to link all of this in the show notes. So you guys can just refer to the show notes and find all of that information again, but oh my gosh, it was such a joy to have you. I'm so glad that we got to meet and have this awesome discussion. Um, hopefully you guys, this was helpful. Thank you, Jack, again, for showing up and giving us all of your expertise and, and just your beautiful feedback. It was amazing having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jenna. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. For 
For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.